With insight on what it means to be separated to the gospel, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Separated to the gospel. Now, a lot of you have been separated. You're easy to recognize that I was separated from something. Weren't we all? We were all separated from something. We all lived a life at one point or another that just really didn't please the Lord, and now we're separated from that life. So I'm no longer a drunk. Great, you've been separated from that life. I'm no longer strung out on drugs. Great, you've been separated from that life. You know, I'm no longer just causing havoc and trouble. I've been separated from those things, but you also need to be separated to something, to the gospel of God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You To say yes to one direction in life means saying no to another. You can't have it both ways. So to discover the direction that leads to true freedom in life and away from bondage is critical. Well, today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor will help us with that discovery. Glad you've joined us as we continue today in the New Testament book of Romans. As we delve into chapter one, we're confronted with what direction we're going in life. While Romans is often referred to as the gospel of grace, it's also called the letter of liberty. You'll see it shows what gets in the way of our freedom and what frees us. Here's Pastor Ed. Romans has been seen as a letter of liberty, freedom. And we're going to learn what it's like to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn what it's like to be free from all pretension, religiosity, if there is such a word. If there's not, we will add it to the dictionary. <laughs> that we just get so religious about things and we get into a routine so that no longer are we worshiping the one true holy God, but now it's just routine. Romans will not allow us, as we study it with open hearts, to be routine and religious with the things of the Lord. We'll see God's Holy Spirit infusing in us his grace and his mercy and his love and his tender compassion and his patience and his goodness and his forbearance. We're going to learn the depth and the depravity of sin and how difficult and devastating sin can be, both for believer and unbeliever alike. You see, for believers, we think, well, I'm saved so I can dabble in a little bit of sin because, you know, sin, I've overcome sin in Jesus and it has no effect on me. Nuh-uh. Sin will devastate you. Sin will take you down. It'll destroy your life. For unbelievers, it'll keep you from the love of God. For believers, it will make you compromise and fall away, backsliding and just leaving the love of God. Oh, he hasn't stopped loving you, but we can leave him. We can leave the love and the fervency. Oh, do we lose our salvation? No, but you sure do lose the joy of your salvation. You sure do lose the assurance of your salvation. You sure do lose the effectiveness. Ask anyone that has ever backslidden. Ask anyone that's ever been tripped up by sin. And they will tell you a real life testimony of how horrible it is to dabble with sin. We need to act towards sin like we would to a rattlesnake. 
I've never met a rattlesnake up close that there wasn't glass in between us. <laughs> but I'm sure that if I was out wandering the roads of Watkins and I came up against a rattlesnake, I would just not want to be near it. I don't know what I'd do, but I'd hope I would run away. I wouldn't say, here, sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. I wouldn't do that. And I don't want to do that towards sin. Romans will give us the depth and depravity of sin so we have an attitude toward it that we don't want anything to do with it. We want no compromise in our lives. Look at how Paul opens up in verse 1. Paul, you know that was his name after salvation. We know Paul first as Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Paul is his name after conversion. He was born a Roman citizen, Saul of Tarsus was, into a Jewish home. So that we know at about the age of 13, his parents would take him to Jerusalem to study under a rabbi. And we know that rabbi's name, his name was Gamaliel. Gamaliel tells us that the only difficulty that he had with his young student Saul was that he couldn't get him enough books to read and to study because Saul of Tarsus was a voracious student of the law. And he wanted to live his life to please God. And he did to the place of self-righteousness. That was Saul of Tarsus, a self-righteous rising star among Jewish leaders. That's where we are in Philippians chapter 3 because he gives us an insight of his past. We don't know much about Paul before his conversion, but of what we do know, we know that he was a self-righteous Pharisee, took great pride and joy in his outward accomplishments. We find that here in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. We'll just kind of read through this overview that Paul gives us of his life. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I mean, here's his attitude. He says, you want to talk about religion? I was religious. I did everything and more of what was asked of me. I have the right upbringing. I have the right teaching. And my life, you could look at my life and say, obedient. That's an obedient man. But he says in verse 7, the things that were gained to me, all the things I took pride in, all of my religious upbringing, everything I knew about the law, everything I did in obedience, he says, all of these things that I took pride in, all of these things that I saw as gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Verse 9 says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Flip over to Philippians chapter 1. I like that. Flip over to Philippians chapter 1. Look, as you're flipping your pages, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants. 
Paul, I'm a servant. Now flip back to Romans chapter 1. How does Paul open this letter? He says, Paul, a servant. The original language in the Greek, the word here is doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S. It literally means a bond servant. Paul, he looks at his life and he says, here I am, I'm Paul, and I'm not the self-righteous Pharisee, and I'm not the educated one, and I'm not the keeper of the law, I'm not the obedient one, I'm not the teacher, I'm not the preacher, I'm not, you know, I'm a servant. Wouldn't we do well to identify ourselves the same way? It's so easy to identify ourselves by something other than who we really are. Oh, I know God might have put you in some wonderful places in this world, some great places of leadership. You know, some of you might be far up in the corporate world and God is just using you as a CEO, as a vice president. Some of you have, God has you behind a computer, you're programming. Some of you work for law enforcement. Some of you, you have so many great, you paint houses, you, you take care of dogs, you do so much, so wonderful things. But listen, listen, you are a servant of the Lord. Not any servant, but a bond servant. There was a difference. Difference between a servant and a bond servant. A servant served against his will. He served usually to pay off a debt. And so his lot in life became that of a servant, a slave. And, and he paid off his debt. He worked and he worked for a family usually. In the first century, you become a part of a family and you would serve that family until the debt was paid off. When the debt was paid off, you were given a choice. The choice was to leave which many servants did. I'm out of here. I want my freedom. But then the doulos, he made a decision to stay. You think about that. A bondservant. Next to the word servant, you could write the word voluntary or voluntarily. That, that's what Paul says. He says, I have freedom and I use my freedom and I choose to use that freedom to be a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, there was a ceremony that took place for that bond servant. When the decision was made after the debt was paid and the servant says, you know, I love this family. I love your family. I don't want to leave this family. I know that if I stay here, I'll be well taken care of. I know that if I, you know, you are my family. I don't have any other family but you. And so I decide to stay. The master of the house would take his servant out to the doorpost of the home. And he would take the servant's earlobe and place it up against the doorpost and take an awl and a hammer and pierce that earlobe into the door so that a piece of the ear would stay in the doorpost and a hole would be left in the lobe. And in that hole would be an earring that would forever mark that slave as a voluntary slave. Think about it. So I'm willing, I'm willing to stay and I'm willing to share with everyone around me. I'm a servant of the household and I'm not just any servant. I'm not here because I have to be. I'm not here because I'm paying off a debt. You know, I paid off my debt. I've done everything. I, now I'm here because I love this family. And forever in that doorpost would just be a small piece of the ear of that servant. Forever memorializing his desire by love to stay because it's different now. I no longer want to serve out of my legal obligation. From now on, I want to serve out of love. And that is a bond slave. That is what Paul is saying here. I said, I'm not serving out of some legal obligation. I'm a servant of the Lord because I want to be. I'm a voluntary servant of the Lord. Think of the ceremony here with the earlobe on the doorpost and the piece of the ear getting stuck. You know, I think the Lord is wanting to teach us something here. Even as the master knew that that ceremony would mark the voluntary servanthood of his, of his slave, of his servant, 
I think the Lord's wanting to tell us something here, and that's simply this. Whoever has your ear has you. Whoever has your ear has you. Who you choose to listen to is the one that you're going to follow. The one that you give your time and attention to and your ears in tune to them, you know, that's the one you're going to follow. And I'm here to say today on behalf of the Lord, he wants your ear, guys. He wants you and I to be able to say, Ed, a voluntary servant of the Lord. Yes, I may have other places in this world that I serve, other titles, other responsibilities that really if you were to come to me and say, okay, Ed, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And who are you? Well, I'm a pastor. No, no, no. The right answer is, I'm Ed, a servant of the Lord. And I do so freely and voluntarily out of love because I love Jesus and everything that he's done. That's who we are servants of the Lord. You know, if the Lord has your ear, then you will follow him. It's a principle throughout the scriptures. Flip back to Revelation for a moment and I'll show you what I mean. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Seven times in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus says this to the seven churches. As the master has that piece of the slave's ear, knowing forever would mark his voluntary surrender, God knows that whoever has your ear has you. Whoever you listen to has you. Whoever has your attention has your devotion too. And that's why Jesus says over and over, look at verse 7, Revelation chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus, he wants your ear, guys. He wants you to be his bondservant. He wants you to serve him out of love and not obligation. He wants you to serve. He wants me to serve because we're so enraptured with his love and his mercy, not because we have to, not because we're going to try and try and try to please him, but, but simply because you have a relationship with him. And as you serve him, you please him. What freedom comes in a relationship with Jesus. I know other people put trips on us. You got to do this. But just love Jesus. Well, why aren't you doing that? Just love Jesus because out of that love, his love will compel you to do everything he wants you to do. It's a big difference, isn't there, between serving from obligation and legalities and because you love. There's a big difference. For those of you that have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many times have you asked your kids to do something and you, they cop an attitude on it? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Son, will you take out the trash for dad because you love him? Yeah, I'll take out the trash. I love you, dad. <laughs> you know? Will you wash my car because you love me? You just want a clean car for dad? <laughs> you just want to... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but then when you look forward, the kids look forward to a reward. You know, maybe it's a birthday or an area where the kids are just really motivated. And, and then you come home from work and the house is spotless. And you're like, what's up with Junior, man? <laughs> and he might have a love for some event. Or he might have a love to some reward. Or just maybe he or she might have a love because it's a special day for you. And because they love you, they just want to serve you. And they don't cop any attitudes. And they don't even ask for anything in return. They just serve because they love. Big difference between serving out of obligation. Doesn't that word obligation, doesn't it just, just say obligation? Doesn't it sound like a burden? Oh, I'm serving the Lord. Yeah, are you, are you enjoying serving the Lord? Yeah, I'm, oh, yeah, man. I'm serving for him and for her. I mean. It's just obligation. You know, listen, listen. When you serve with love and you're motivated by love, you don't feel the weight of obligation. Time just passes. 
when you're being used by the Lord, not because you have to, but because you get to, things are so different. You seem to be able to accomplish so much more, too. It's not just doing with, by obligation. You've got to say it that way. You can't say obligation anymore. You've got to say obligation. When you start serving by obligation, you do the bare minimum, don't you? Just, I'm going to get right up to the edge. I'm not going to do anything more. When I'm done, I'm sitting down. But by love, not only do you do what's required of you, you also look out, what more can I do? What, what, what else can I do? Is there anybody else that needs me? Is there anything else that needs to be done? Is there anybody else? Lord, you just, out of love, it's like not just the bare minimum. You go way beyond. That's why Jesus talks about going the extra mile. Do you think they stepped it out, what an extra mile was? I don't think so. I think they went as far as they needed to go. Not because of obligation, but because of love. Big difference. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to us. He says, I'm Paul, not Saul of Tarsus. I'm Paul, and I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Called, verse 1, back in Romans, to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. We as a church have studied the gospel in Genesis. And we've studied the gospel in Exodus. We've studied the gospel in Leviticus. We've studied the gospel in Numbers. It is everywhere. The gospel, the good news, was promised. It's not a new and a novel message. It was promised and prophesied that the Messiah would come. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, it's all over. But I love this in verse 1. He says, Paul's servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. There was a separation that took place in Saul of Tarsus' life. As Jesus appears to him in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, he's ready to destroy the church, Saul. As the Bible says that he's breathing in and out threats and murder. He is mad. And Jesus apprehends him and Paul exercises faith in Jesus and everything changes from that day forward. It was at that point that Paul, he was separated in a very real and practical way. Now, biblically and theologically, we know that he was separated before the foundation of the world. But in that time in his life, very much like in your life, there was a point in time where you could see I was separated to the gospel. Now, a lot of you have been separated. You're easy to recognize that I was separated from something. I mean, weren't we all? We were all separated from something. We all lived a life at one point or another that just really didn't please the Lord, and now we're separated from that life. Amen? Isn't that good? Are you separated from that life? I hope so. So I'm no longer a drunk. Great, you've been separated from that life. I'm no longer strung out on drugs. Great, you've been separated from that life. You know, I'm no longer just causing havoc and trouble. I've been separated from those things. But you also need to be separated to something. And Paul says, I've been separated to the gospel of God. It was an answer to the promise of God. You know, the promises of God are still valid today. His promises to you are yes and amen. You'll hear testimony sometimes of how God delivered people from all sorts of things. But realize too, not only have you been delivered from, you've also been delivered to. And that is the gospel. The gospel that is promised. He says, verse 3, this gospel is concerning his son, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so if you're one to write in your Bibles, you can just write a little arrow. Lord back to servant, because that's the relationship. A servant has a Lord, and a Lord has servants. But even more for our Lord and Savior, he says, hey, you know what? I love you. And I am so excited, so encouraged by you serving me. A lot of people don't like to live with Jesus as Lord. 
okay with Jesus being Savior. It's good. Oh, my sins have been forgiven. I feel this weight off. Oh, this is great. I'm no longer going to hell. And now I have this great life in Jesus. But then you say, well, wait a minute. You know, Jesus is Lord. That's not just some title out there. The Greek word is kurios, Lord. Does he have your ear? When he says something, do you do it? Oh, not out of obligation. Well, okay, he told me to do it. No, it's like, Lord, what do you want from me? That's a crazy prayer, isn't it? You ever prayed that prayer? Not, not just in desperation. Sounds like we pray that prayer in desperation, right? Things are really tough. Lord, what do you want from me? If you just tell me, if you deliver me from this situation, I'll give you my life. Great prayer. God will answer it. But what about just the times where you're like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I mean, really mean it. What do you want me to do? Because I'm open. I'm open. You, you tell me what to do. If you want me to go across the country, I'll go across the country. You want me to get another job, I'll get another You want me to, and, and he'll often ask us to do things that are going to require a, really a lot of faith, take a step of faith to follow him and obey him. But you and I, we, we can't have a relationship with Jesus where we say, no, Lord. It doesn't really work, does it? He's either Lord or he's not. So it's not like, no, Lord. And he's going, wait a minute, what about the relationship here? I mean, you could say, no, friend. You could say no wife. You can say no stranger. Well, I guess you can't say no wife. You're right. That's right. <laughs> don't go there, guys. Pastor Ed said I could say no. I don't want to get in trouble, okay? <laughs> you could say no husband. You could say no boss, I guess, for a season. But you can't say no Lord. It's yes, Lord. What would you have me to do? Yes, Lord. The gospel, the gospel concerns his son, verse 3, who was born of the seed of David. That's his humanity according to the flesh. In verse 4, declared to be the Son of God. That's his deity. With power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. I mean, the gospel message is a captivating message. And I pray that for some of you, your heart's captivated today. You're captivated with the truth that God so loves you, not in the past and not in the future, but presently, right now, he so loves you that he sent his only begotten Son. That if you would believe in him, the penalty of sin would be taken away. You'll be forgiven. Yes, the guilt of sin will be removed. Yes, the burden of sin will be removed. Yes, God, he'll rush into your life and begin to do wonderful and great things. But let me tell you, the joy of salvation is not what we get practically here on earth. The joy of our salvation is that we have been made right with God through his son. And that judgment of God is no longer going to come in your life because now the blood of Jesus Christ has covered your life and you're forgiven and free. That's a captivating message. It's more captivating than any fictional book you might buy. You know how sometimes you'll buy a fictional book, a book of fiction, and you're like, this is a great book. I don't want to put it down. This is a wonderful, man, this is fantastic. I don't want to put it down. The gospel is more captivating than that. You know, sometimes you'll take it a step further, and there's a particular author that really captivates. You really like this author. You get all of her books, all of his books. I love this author. I love it. I just I can't wait till the next book comes out. But you know what? The gospel, more captivating because the gospel changes lives. In chapter 1, verse 16, if you want to flip there, we've seen it before. It's the theme, it's the key of Romans. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. More captivating, some author, some book. Flip over to Romans 5, just a few pages. That your life can be saved, captivates my heart. That Jesus has good news for me. You know, religion says this. You serve God or you're going to hell. But a relationship says you serve Jesus because you love him. And he loves you. And it says in verse 8 of chapter 5, God demonstrates this love. 
said God demonstrates his own love toward us that in, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At our deepest low, when we had absolutely nothing to offer him whatsoever except sin, Jesus died for us. <laughs> that captivates my heart. We trust it's captivated your heart as well. Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace, our Tuesday edition. Pastor Ed Taylor is in the early stages of a study in Romans. If you've enjoyed the message, hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. That's AboundingGraceRadio.com. And if you haven't already, download our free app. That way you can listen to our program right there on your phone or tablet. Search for Calvary Church Aurora. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, be sure to request Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn. You'll be encouraged as you hear how God transformed an unlikely generation and how He can most certainly do it again. Call us right now at 877-30-GRACE, and we'll gladly take your request. That's 877-30-GRACE. We'll journey deeper into the captivating gospel of grace next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.